0: Well, let's once again seek the face of God as we come to the word this evening. Let's pray. Father, we've read of the death of the Lord of glory. We've read of that sacrificial lamb that was offered once to take away sin. We've sung of grace and how the value of that sacrifice and how the blood that was shed has been applied to us and we rejoiced. We need, again, to ask that you would cleanse us of all of our sins and that you would, by your grace, that you would, in your amazing kindness, draw near to us and help us. Who are we to approach a holy God? your children, and we come in the name of the Lord of glory, your Son, whom you raised from the dead, who sits at your right hand, and ask that you would hear us and bless us for his sake. Amen. Amen. In Exodus chapter 3, we read of Moses. He saw a burning bush, and when he saw that burning bush, he was taken up with it, and he immediately had to say, I've got to go see what's going on over there. This bush is on fire and it's not being consumed. There he meets with the God of the Scriptures. He meets with the true and the living God. And he's commissioned to go and speak to Pharaoh. And he responds, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? God answers his question, addresses him and gives him encouragements. And he responds, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? <laughs> what shall I say to them? So God tells them his name, his memorial name. I am that I am. What if they won't believe? God says, What you got in your hand? He gives him those those signs. And then Moses says, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Moses packed his bags and said, let's go, Lord. Sadly, no. His response was, please, Lord, Now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Excuses before the true and living God in the face of a miracle, a bush that's not burning. Excuses. How many times I have heard in counseling sessions, I just can't do that. How many times my own heart has said to me, I just can't do this. Excuses. There are so many, so many commands in the Word of God. And as God's people, it is our responsibility to obey those commands. And it's our desire to obey those commands. And yet we fall so very far short. How can I keep all these commands? Well, I'll turn you to our text now. Text that some of you may have already anticipated. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And we read there. These words, and God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. What an amazing promise. As we come to this promise let me just set something of the stage some of you will already know this but just set the stage for what uh for the the context in which this promise is given in chapters 8 and 9 and earlier paul is addressing the corinthians about uh, a special offering that's being taken to help the jews that are suffering uh, in jerusalem and the corinthians have agreed to do this And yet there seems to be some reluctance. They're not following through on the commitment that they've made. They started well, but they seem to have halted. And so Paul comes to them, and he, as we heard even in the adult class this morning, uh, he comes to them and he says, well, let me tell you about somebody else. Look back with me at chapter 8. Let me tell you about the Macedonians. The Macedonians were those who gave. Notice verse 1, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8.1. Now, brothers, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And in a great testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their generosity, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the grace of sharing in the ministry to the saints. These are people who gave and they were poor, and yet they begged Paul to participate in giving. And we might think that Paul set them up there as as to shame the Corinthians. Look, look what these people did. They gave. Yeah, I don't think he's really doing it for that purpose. He is doing it, as was said in the adult Bible class, as an example. But an example of one specific thing I think that he's highlighting. For he says, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God the grace of God, which was manifested in these Macedonians to where they engaged in this gracious work, verse 6. It was a work that was an expression of grace, but was a work of what God had done in them by grace so that they could give. And I believe what Paul is doing in, in setting forth the Macedonians here is he's saying, see what grace can do? And then he's going to tell them what they should do. And then he's going to give them this wonderful promise about grace. I'd like for us to consider this reality of grace this evening. And it's a simple outline that some of you have heard before. I don't apologize. I think we all need to think about grace more than we do. First point is what we all need. Second point Where we get it. The third point, how God gives it. And the fourth point, how this applies to us. First point, what we all need, grace. The family of words that are translated grace, the Greek words, appear 78 times in the Old Testament, 197 times in the New Testament. Pretty important term. What is grace? Well, grace is at least three things. Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved goodness or kindness shown toward someone. Mary received grace. It says in most many translations she received favor. But it's the word grace. She was chosen to be the one through whom Jesus would come into the world. And when we think of grace, we often think of it as we sang of it in, in 402, the, the amazing grace. And we often think of it in terms of salvation, and rightly we should. For salvation is all of grace. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Or as we heard from Romans 3, verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace. Coming to sinners, hell-deserving sinners, He comes and He instead gives them salvation. He saves them from their sins. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved goodness shown toward someone But then grace is also used in the scriptures to speak of an undeserved kind activity of someone that enables somebody to accomplish a task. It's not just something that somebody does for someone that they can't do for themselves, that they don't deserve, but it's also something that is done in somebody that enables them to accomplish the task that's at hand or that's before them. So, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, Paul says... By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. When grace came to him, it enabled him to labor. But he goes on to say, Not I, but the grace of God with me or in me. And so grace that came to Paul long after he'd been saved, was enabling him to continue to do his ministry which he had received by grace as an apostle. He also says in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 9, those words where God speaks to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul then says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather... Boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Grace enables him to face those trials. It's an undeserved kind activity of someone that enables one to accomplish a task. And in particular, we see that there in the scriptures. The third way we can understand grace is that when these gracious actions done toward us or for us produce in us character traits... We call them graces. It's the Bill Hugheses of the world that come into your home and have all the right words on their lips so that your wife is just looking at it going, oh, what a lovely gentleman he is. (laughs) And you say, well, that's grace. The kindness that comes, it's Grace. The persevering that comes. It's grace. We call these things graces, right? And Stephen was an example of that. He was a man who was full of grace and power. And he goes on to say he, he couldn't be uh, dealt with when he went to argue, when he speak of the gospel in the, in the synagogues or in these, these, uh, among the unbelievers. He said they couldn't argue with him. They couldn't face his wisdom. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 10. As each one has received a special gift... Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There's other passages we could look at, but here's what, here's what we all need. As we, as we look at Moses and we say, Moses, you make all those, those excuses. And, and we're ready to say, Moses, how could you make all those excuses? And then we look at ourselves and say, mm, I, I've got a few of those in my back pocket that I pull out occasionally too, don't I? What do we need? Tasks are too great. There's too much. We need grace. We need somebody to work for us. And we need to work, somebody to work in us. And that's the one I work, want to look at most in this particular passage. Because I think that's what it's focusing on here. But what do we all need? Grace. Where do we get it? Where do we get grace? from God. As our text says. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able... To make every grace abound to you. It comes from God. It can't be earned in any way because it's grace. It's, it, it can't be purchased. You can't go on Amazon on deal day and I'll, I'll buy some grace today. You, you, you can't uh, go on to X or Facebook or, or Instagram or YouTube and watch some guru's uh, Videos and, and obtain grace in those things, that he, you can't get them that way. You can't look down deep inside of yourself and, and dig something up. It's, it's not found there. You can't do a 90-day program to become to have grace. You can't do a 10-step plan to get grace. No, it comes from God. It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in any of these ways. It comes from God. He says, and God is able to make grace abound to you. Every grace. He is God who brings that grace. And that's what we saw in chapter 8 and verse 1 that I highlighted when we read. He says, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which was given to the churches in Macedonia. When talking to the Corinthians and writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in his first letter, he says, I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. This church that was such a problem for him, he says, yet I saw the grace of God in saving you. And he goes on to talk about other ways that God's grace is made manifest. It is the grace of God that we need. As I read from that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's that grace of God that is working within me. Now, our text tells us God is able to make every grace abound to you. And and I read that, and every time I read it, I'm thankful for it, but it always sounds too minimal. God is able? it's, It's more than that. The word literally means God has power. Power to make all grace abound. It was Thomas Manton who said, and when he says God is able, it not only implies that God is the fountain of all plenty and sovereign disposer of it, and so has power to make you the richer rather than the poorer by your liberality, to make every alms you give like the oil in the cruse to multiply as you pour it out, that there shall be enough for every object and every occasion. And he says that's all. It's, all, it's, it's not just all that, but also it's not just that he can do that; it's that he is sure to do that. He is sure to make it good. It's not amazing then to understand why Peter calls God the God of all grace. I've said it before. That's one of my favorite titles of God, the God of all grace. So that's the kind of God I need. I don't need a God of some grace. I don't need a God of a certain kind of grace. I need a God of all grace. He does not lack the ability, he does not lack the resources, and he does not lack the willingness to give us what we need in grace. We all need it. And God gives it. Third, how God gives it. Listen to the words of our text again. And I'm reading again from this updated version of the New American Standard here because I, I like the way it takes this pas, pas, upon, which is the Greek word for all, 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 or every, 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 and they, he, they, they use the same translation for the word every time it appears in this verse. And God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything, at every time, Having every sufficiency, you have an abundance for every good work. You kind of get the impact of what Paul is doing here with Paul's typical way of just piling words on words so that we can really drive the thing home to us. Every grace, everything, at every time, having every sufficiency for every good deed. And then there's those words in between. Make grace abound, sufficiency, have an abundance. Let's, let's just take these phrase by phrase. What he gives, every grace. Peter calls it the multicolored grace of God, your translation probably said the, man, the manifold grace of God or something like that, or varied grace of God. The word literally means multicolored. It's just that, it's just that, that kaleidoscope of, of colors. God's grace is this white light that just, pff, when you spread it out, it, it's, it's just incredibly varied. It's the whole spectrum, not just one band. The FAA doesn't have enough bandwidth to give up, to use for, for God's grace. In 1 Peter 5, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory. So, okay, well, that's where he showed his grace, right? Called us to eternal glory. Sure, he showed grace in Christ Jesus. He says, but there's more. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those are all expressions of his grace. Every grace. Again, he's not a specialist in this. In one sense, he's a specialist at every, at every level, if you will, of giving grace. And when he gives it, at every time, or at all times, in every circumstance, God's not available um, just from nine to five. It's not just occasionally that he gives grace. Every time. At all times. And it's not just certain circumstances that, that he's good at handling. Right? You call your plumber to take care of your furnace. You call the carpenter to take care of the, the, the squeaky door or the, or the cabinets. Right? Then they come in and they do their thing. Says, But God says, whatever circumstance you're in, I've got grace for it. Every circumstance, all times, every time. And he sovereignly dispenses that grace to those who need it when they need it. He gives every grace, every time, in every circumstance. And how he gives it? Abundantly, every, for every sufficiency, for everything. And here's why we look at those words, abound in abundance. That overflowing. And as I said when I preached this last, it was the matter of the, the, the breaking of the bread and feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. And they, picked up, they kept picking up baskets after everybody was satisfied. After everybody, That's the abundance. All that stuff that was in the basket afterwards. So the, the grace comes and it just keeps coming. And it, this word sufficiency, again... That just doesn't sound good. I mean, not in my ears. I I want something that's bigger than that. But the word literally means to be fully satisfied. All right? It's when you were 12 years old and had Thanksgiving dinner and didn't exercise any self-control. And so by the end of the day, you're lying on the sofa with your bloated stomach groaning. There is no room... For one more cookie, or pumpkin pie, or they, and not, no, and when a twelve-year-old says no, I'm done, you know they've eaten a lot. They're satisfied, but that's the word: satisfied, satiated, completely filled. And this is the way God gives grace. It was read by uh, Pastor Hofmeyer. John 1:16. For of his fullness we have all received grace. Upon grace, or grace instead of grace, or grace against grace. And Leon Morris says this, probably he means that as one piece of divine grace, so to speak, recedes, it is replaced by another. God's grace to his people is continuous and is never exhausted. It's like the Lincoln Tunnel, bumper to bumper. Bumper. One goes, but the one's just right behind it. There is no gap, or like the waves at the beach that just keep coming. When does one end and the next one start? The grace just flows, and as one that one measure of grace comes, then you're you're looking the next one's just right behind it and on top of it. And he just says, "I just keeps giving grace upon grace, grace after grace, grace against grace." So there's never any lack. It's abundant. It's sufficient. It's complete. then maybe you're just sitting there saying, but you know, you don't know how much I sin. You don't know how many times this little member here gets the best of me. You don't know how many times that coveting thing in my heart goes off. You don't know my sin, Pastor Carlson. Well, that's, that's true, but God does. And the law makes it very plain that we're all sinners, doesn't it? Because the law came in that transgressions would increase, but as we heard the words go, words go on, but where sin increases, grace does much more abound. And that's why, Paul, that's why David prayed. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Right? He comes and says, I'm going to plead with you as a God of all grace. Forgive. He said, but I'm just incredibly weak. (laughs) You know, yeah, I know weakness. We've all known weakness in certain areas. Maybe it was math or history or English. For me it would probably be Chinese that would be a weakness but see that's exactly where grace meets us too it's at the point of our weakness that's what Paul said God said to him my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness power is perfected in weakness You want to see the power of God. You want to see the grace of God displayed and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm weak. Great. There's a sense in which when you say, I can't do it, that's right. And that's wrong. Because by God's grace, you can. However weak you might be. Every grace. Every time. In every circumstance. Abundantly for every sufficiency in everything, for every good deed. He doesn't give grace willy-nilly, um, extraneous, unrelated, irrelevant. Sitting down to do a math test, and God comes and says, "Okay, boom, big muscles." <clears throat> doesn't. Not really helping me with my math. It's not what I need. What I need is I need to, rec- to be able to recall the things I've studied. I need to be able to process what's in front of me. I need that grace. You see, that's the way God gives grace it's for every good deed. For that deed. When He gives, and what He gives, He gives that it might meet the need, and He gives that it might be given. That it might be used. As is commonly said, God invests where he gets the greatest returns. He's going to give grace. It's because he wants you to use that grace for the good deeds that he has set out for you. And you can never outstrip God, run farther than his grace can reach. You can never exhaust God. By going longer than he can last? No, God is never at a loss and never a debtor. He meets those needs for every good deed. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 14, he speaks about the surpassing grace of God. The surpassing grace of God, the word literally means to throw over. And so I thought probably the best illustration I could come up with, especially for you Mets fans, for the surpassing grace of God is a center fielder who catches a long, deep fly ball at the wall. Doesn't catch it before it bounces on the ground. And the guy from third base is running home. And so he picks up the ball and he throws it. He throws it over the cutoff man, past the pitcher, straight to the mound to tag the man out. That's surpassing. That's the kind of grace God gives. It is way over anything you could imagine. It is a surpassing grace of God. God gives it, and I summarize all that by saying God gives it graciously. How does all this apply to us? It goes on and on and on, the applications. Well, I will say that it does have to do with giving, because that's the context. It has to do with giving. And we've even mentioned on our Wednesday night prayer meeting that we're going to be regularly praying that God would provide for the financial needs of the church in the future, for the on, in the present and for the future, that God will provide. Because we need Him to provide. And He provides through our work. When we work, and He, re, he pays us through some boss that gives us a check, and we give. And that requires grace. That's why three times in this chapter on benevolence, he calls it a gracious work. Because it takes grace, sometimes more than leather, to open up the fingers. It just does. In Acts 4, he also talks about the fact that grace, great grace was upon them all. And what did they do? There was nobody who was needy among them. Because each one who had sold to help one another, they they were ministering to one another it wasn't forced communism it wasn't an equality everybody giving up everything and sharing it in some sort of kibbutz where they're all you know no it was it was those who had selling some to help those who didn't but it was it was grace that was at work and so certainly financially we need grace so we need to pray that god will give grace and god will bless and that's where this whole passage goes and says he who Sows little gets little, he who sows much gets gets more. That's just the way that God says it. Not that he can have more, but so that he can then give more. But that's just the first application. The Corinthians had made promises to give. And here's where they were wrestling. They weren't they weren't seemed to be struggling with coming up with their with fulfilling their responsibility and keeping their promises. And we need grace to keep our promises. We need grace because we're sinners and we make promises we don't want to keep. And we need grace because we're weak and there are promises we can't keep. So we need grace. If you're married, you made vows. You made promises before God, covenant promises before God. And you can't keep those promises on your own. And You might be able to do pretty well, but all that's common grace. But the fact of the matter is, we need grace. We're working through our church polity, and we're talking about church membership and the responsibilities of church membership. And to do those things that we're called on to do as members, we need grace. We're making promises to be at the stated meetings, to promote the edification of the people of God, to, to evangelize, to maintain our own spiritual walk before God. To, we're, we're, we've made promises. And we need grace to keep all those promises. And in fact, every yes that we say we need promise, we need grace to keep that promise to say yes, to fulfill what we said yes to and what we said no to. Because every yes, yes, and no, no is as if we had sworn it's as it were before God. And God holds us very accountable for the vows that we make before him. We all need grace. We need grace at every level, heart levels. The commentator Lenski speaks about the fact that we need uh, grace in our hearts, the, the good works of, in our hearts of, of these things, faith, love, tenderness, pity, strength, courage, energy, zeal, enlightenment, wisdom, and in order for those good deeds to take place in our hearts to exercise those things in a way that's pleasing to God, we need grace. If we're to have the fruit of the Spirit, we need the Spirit's work in our lives. We need grace that there would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We need grace to live holy lives. We need grace to act the way we ought to in every circumstance, to know when to speak and when not to speak, to how to be kind when, when somebody is sick and how to, how to, how to live with the, wealth, with the wealth and health that God gives us to use it for the good of others. We need God's grace We need God's grace to be husbands that love our wives and wives that submit to our husbands and children who obey and honor their parents. We need grace because that's not native. None of this is native. We need grace to confront one another and deal with our sins with one another. We need grace to extend forgiveness to those who come confessing their sins, don't we? And we need grace to receive that forgiveness. We need grace to adjust and adapt to all the different cultures that are here. We need grace. We need grace to tame our tongues. We need grace to set a door on our mouths. We need grace. And I think Paul and Peter both recognized how much we needed grace because almost every one of the epistles begins and ends with an apostolic blessing or an apostolic prayer for grace. Grace be to you. You might say grace and peace. They might say grace, mercy and peace. But grace is always there. Grace at the beginning and the end. It's like, you know, I gave you all this stuff in between. I started with grace and I'm going to end with grace. You need grace. We need God to work in us that we might be able to do this. We cannot do these things on our own. And that's the first thing we need to recognize. But the wonderful thing is this promise. This is an amazing promise. God is powerful to cause every grace to abound, that having every sufficiency in everything, in every time, to have an abundance for every good work. He says, you need grace, I've got it. I give it. So we need to seek it from him. So we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to abide in Jesus. Because that's where we find grace. And that's what all of these beginnings and ends, it's grace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or grace from Jesus Christ. It comes from Christ. It comes through Christ. Our Intercessor sits at God's right hand, pleading on our behalf that we might have grace. Interesting, the only place that John uses the word grace in his whole gospel is right there at the beginning that was read this evening. Only time he uses the word is in those verses 14 to 17. And he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Or realized through Jesus Christ. We need to abide in Christ often. We don't, not just when we come to this table. Often looking to him. Often speaking with him. Often contemplating what he has done on our behalf. Often going to him and saying, open up to me how you lived and how I, how I need to act. Give me what I need to be able to live this life in a way that's pleasing to you. And therefore, we need to pray. We need to draw near to the throne of grace and pray that we might receive mercy and grace in time of need. We need to turn this promise of grace in chapter 9 into a handle to lay hold of God, into a rope, as it were, to pull upon, to ring the bell of heaven. We need grace, more grace, more grace. And then we need to study God's word. It's called the word of grace. The word of his grace. And we need to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us that we will have that grace that we need. And then we need to listen to one another and encourage one another. You know, the text, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification that it might give grace to those who hear. Do you speak grace? Grace. To your brethren. Speak in a way that helps them. But then my final exhortations. And I've hinted at this one already. If we're going to receive grace, then we're going to have to humble ourselves before God. I can't do this. You've promised to do this. Give me what I need to serve you. Our pride keeps us from receiving grace because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we need to grow in grace. You say, well, I know about grace. I was saved by grace. Yes, but are you continuing by grace? Are you growing in grace? Peter says we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it is, Christ and grace. We need to grow in these things. Because this world is filled with lies. And verse 17 that comes before that says, we need to do this so that we won't be swept away, carried away by error and unprincipled men. And then when we get grace, we not only need to humble ourselves and grow in grace, we need to work when we receive grace. He gives grace for every good deed. He doesn't give grace so we can sit back and wait for him to do some more. He gives grace so we can use grace in every good deed. I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, Paul says, but I labored even more than all, all of them. But not I, but the grace of God with me. I can't do it. You're right, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, because He promises the grace necessary to do it. He promises to give all the grace. He gives the church the graces that he, the, the grace that they need in order that they can serve, as we heard from Ephesians four, in each part providing what it ought to provide. Well, how are we going to do that? How is each joint going to provide to the building up of the body in love? Well, He says He gives grace. some, it's the grace that leads to teaching. Some, it's the grace that leads to giving. Some, it's the grace that leads to serving. Some, it's the grace that leads to exhorting. Some of the grace, it's the multifaceted, multicolored grace of God that he gives. Yes, by grace we are saved. But those verses 8 and 9 that many of us memorize, and I know I memorized in college, I didn't know verse 10 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not a result, a result of works, so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, sitting back and soaking up grace? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Well, my time is gone, but I have to turn to one last text. Flip the numbers around in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8 and go back to chapter 8 and verse 9. Because where is this grace rooted? Where is it found? How can I be sure that this promise is absolutely certain? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He came To show us grace. He came to those who were his enemies. He came to those of us who were sinners. He came. He enlightened our minds. He enabled us to turn from our crimes against God and turn to God. To find in, in him. To apprehend in him. To understand in him there was mercy to forgive. We've experienced that grace, haven't we, brethren? God's come to you and he's opened your blinded eyes to see that and you've seen your sins and you've looked to Christ and you've found forgiveness, right? He, he did that. That's grace. And Grace that he forgave your sins and grace that he, that he declared you righteous and grace that he, that he adopted you into his family and grace that he sent his spirit to take up residence within you and, and grace that he, he said he would never leave you nor forsake you and grace that he says we're going to receive more of when he returns. Grace. If he's given you all that, how will he not also give you everything that you need? The grace that you need on a daily basis. If he's given you all that grace already, will he not give you what you need to fulfill the commandments, to do the good deeds that he's called you to do? He will. So it is wrong to say, I can't do this. Unless you're saying, but he can. I can by his grace. Because you can. You can tame the tongue. You can govern the heart. You can control the mind. You can control your hands. You can control your feet. You can do what God asks you to do. I can do all things through him. Because he gives that grace. Every grace that abounds at every time, in every circumstance, at every sufficiency, I might have an abundance for every good deed. You got good deeds He's given you? Have you? Are you in circumstances that He has placed you in? Then He can give you grace. He will give you grace. Seek His face, go to Him. Brethren, we should not be stagnant, we should be growing in grace. But I asked some of you, and I looked around, and I've been praying for some of you. Have you ever been saved by grace? You haven't. And you sit there. And I'm dumbfounded. You you sit there and you hear of of, of what God in Christ has done. God sent his only begotten son into the world to save hell-deserving sinners. And you'd rather hold on to some trinket in this world? You may say, well, you know, I've just been doing this too long. I'm just, I'm just too sinful. I, 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 just, I, just don't, I just can't give it up. I, I just don't know how to let go of it. I, I just don't know how to turn. I don't know where to go. And you say, well, you know what? I have, I have a wonderful promise for you tonight. A wonderful promise. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet... For your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I have a wonderful promise for you that God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in your present circumstances, in everything, in every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You can repent, you can believe. Oh, no, and I know, not on your own. I'm not giving up on my Calvinism here. I'm not giving up on my biblical beliefs that faith and repentance are gifts. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, if you turn to Christ, and you seek Him, and you cry out to Him, confessing your sins and believing upon Him, and you say, I believe you are God in the flesh, I believe you came to die for sinners, then afterwards you'll know that He was seeking you. But go to him. He has all the grace you need to cleanse you of all your sins and to embrace you in his family. May God be pleased to make this promise rich to all of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, be gracious, be gracious to us. Forgive us our many sins. Deliver us from our many weaknesses. Deliver those who are yet in bondage to sin. By your grace, come in power. And deliver those who are in bondage to sin. And help us, your people, to cling to Christ and to grow in grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.